Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, man. This is the most exciting thing I've seen since Haley's Comet collided with the moon. That never happened, Dad. Sure it didn't. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. TGIF, everybody. Hi, I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And oy, what a show we have today. We're going to be steering our way toward the stars in the age of Aquarius and seeing how that shows up in a horoscope. Clear enough? I, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Our good friend, Christopher Renstrom, internationally acclaimed astrologer, is going to be joining us once again today. We're going to be hitting the, the highlights, maybe even the lowlights. Maybe we're headed for parlous times, certainly interesting times in which we live already. But we'll get to all of that after we say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board, our producer. Benny, how are you today? How the kids doing well? Happy Friday to you uh, as well. Back at you. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I, I say this with some note of irony, but uh, we certainly want to congratulate the Kraken. They had a good Ooh. year, a good run. And we hope that, you know, maybe next year will be better. Wait, what? Hey, hey, hey. hey. Shut your mouth. Out. Don't make what? me come down there. <laughs> Did I get that wrong? <laughs> Don't make me come down there. I think I saw what you're doing there. We are now one and one in the playoffs. The very one first time yeah. for the Seattle Kraken. Unfortunately, yes. we lost last night two to yeah. three. But Saturday's game is going to be anticipated for another win. I'm, I'm feeling it. We're going to go two to one. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all. And I don't know what to expect. Suzanne and I, of course, as many of you know, live in Florida, about an hour away from where the Tampa Bay Lightning play. They're, they are one of the elite teams. Also split years. one and one. But they're trading blowouts with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. It's like we <laughs> killed them and they killed us. And always with the fighting. They're ready. They're just like advertising to each other. This is going to be a brawl every game. That's okay. That's kind of part of the sport. There are a bunch of goons out there, I guess, right? Isn't that kind of like the whole term for like going out and just fist fighting everyone? Yeah, you know, it could some be that way. Some teams are like that, mm -hmm. and some teams have a little bit more finesse to them, and they're more about the skating and the playing than the fighting. Actually playing. Yeah, right. I think there are some teams that really attract the fighters. And just to put a bow on this, the yeah. New York Rangers beat the New Jersey Devils. I don't know what happened to the playoff-bound Devils. They lost the first two games at home by identical scores of 5-1. to one. They're just not showing up, but they're ready to fight, and the Rangers are ready to meet them on the ice for a fight and last night there was a guy with a clipboard one of the referees with a clipboard and these names okay he's ejected he's ejected <laughs> oh he's ejected too this other guy's ejected they kept ejecting guy in the final minutes of the game i wondered if they'd have enough to play or it'd be two goalies i like <laughs> so to, i like pong <laughs> i like i have to bring out the clipboard all right just make sure to keep track of everyone because i'm like you look at the nfl sometimes there's a lot of ejections too but like they're getting fed that in their ears so kudos so yeah. and so it goes we're, on we're enjoying we like of course and so we're enjoying the playoff season right now you know who we enjoy we really enjoy christopher Renz. we do very wise we do. he's he's one of our our big 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 favorites christopher renstrom is the author of the cosmic calendar 
and Ruling Planets and the creator of rulingplanets.com. He currently writes the daily horoscopes for the San Francisco Chronicle and sfgate.com, along with the weekly horoscope for Astrology Hub. Renstrom also lectures on the history of astrology in America from pre-revolution to modern times and runs ruling planet workshops around the country. We'll be sure to give this out during our halftime break, but he is the the creator of rulingplanets.com, which is a subscription service for all things astrological. And we are absolutely thrilled to have him with us today. We're going to talk us horoscopes. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you. And welcome to you too. And thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's so it's always such a delight and a pleasure. Oh, like uh, pleasure's all ours. I just uh, you have <laughs> I have an opening question. Want me are you something you want to get right to? Um no. I read from the back of the book, the author of the Cosmic Calendar and Ruling Planets. Ruling Planets is out of print. The Cosmic Calendar, I have not only read, but I've digested it. So I know what times of the year are good for me starting things and what times of the year are good for me making assessments, taking a break, making plans and all of that. But I'm holding in my hand, Rise and Shine, an astrological guide to how you show up in the world. This will be part of our topic today. Now, your opening question, Gary. I'll just throw the softball and Christopher Renstrom can hit it out of the park, as it were. It dawned on me recently, Christopher, I understand why astrology exists at all. I finally got it. It's because in ancient times, there was nothing good on TV. (laughs) So ancient civilizations were looking at the, uh, what we would call the mythology of uh, zodiacal astrology, the movements of the stars and the stories that they seemingly told. And with all of that, I figure, sure, I mean... Lacking other forms of entertainment, you were free to enter a space of wonder, to look at the skies and imagine what that might mean when you didn't have the telescopes that we have. But they looked and they saw patterns, and in those patterns, the ancients found meaning. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. Although um, they were they were not uh, at a loss for entertainment. <laughs> a lot of things that were going on back then. Uh, whether it was escaping from a saber-toothed tiger or staging a bacchanalia. So, you know, just to sort of speak up for the ancients there, they uh, they weren't bereft of entertainment. There was quite a bit of it. But yes, um, the ancients spent a lot of time looking at the sky. I think the big thing we have to sort of appreciate is that they didn't have electricity. Okay, so so there's the day, but then the nighttime didn't mean that they were sleeping through the night and that was it. They were studying the night a lot, and particularly uh, they were studying the night to map the time, to map where they were in the calendar. You know, a lunar phase would tell them how far they were through a month, uh, the way that the sun rose or set on the horizon, uh, corresponding to whether things were growing or not, was telling them about the equinoxes and dividing the seasons into four. So their way of telling time right now, we just glance at our, you know, iPhone and see what time it is. But but for them, they could look up in the heavens and see what time it is. And, and that's where a, a lot of that focus was, uh, particularly re- when you remember that many of them are agricultural societies. So looking up to the heavens and divining what's coming next weather-wise 
uh, and and by the way, at that time, astrology and weather were absolutely entwined. In fact, the two were often um, read together up until the 19th century, even here in the United States of America. So, so there was a lot to see in the sky, but what they were looking for in the sky had a lot to do with timing and also a lot to do with what tomorrow would bring and, and how their lives depended on it. You know, uh, Christopher, the number one most, most fascinating thing that I think about people of ancient times, because I have this really stupid idea that, you know, we're a lot smarter than they were. And, you know, that's that's not it. But to me, the thing that gets me more than anything else is in these ancient structures pyramids, walls, things with little windows and holes in them, how <laughs> they managed to build them in such a way that on the solstices and the equinoxes, the light shines exactly, exactly on what they want it to shine on. And every time I see that on television, I smack my head. How did they figure that out? Because they lived with their sky, you know, and, and the thing that we have to remember, like, for instance, I think you're talking about New Grange there. We also know it was Stonehenge. We know it with the pyramids, yes. but Peru and the Mayans, you know, yes. and the thing that I always, you know, tell my students about is these are just the civilizations we know about. Mm-hmm. We don't know about nomadic civilizations, for instance, indigenous uh, the indigenous peoples of America absolutely worked with the stars and they worked with the planets. I mean, everyone on the planet was creating some form of astrology uh, because our calendars come from astrology. But but we know about the civilizations whose ruins have survived. But what about the ones whose ruins haven't or haven't even been excavated yet? And then also the ones that were more nomadic in nature. So. So this appreciation for astrology, <clears throat> excuse me, this appreciation for astrology was universal. And we're only beginning, you know, through archaeological research and things like that to really appreciate how widespread and all the different variations that that it appeared in. Yeah, they they look brilliant when I realize some of these structures, how they're constructed you know, is difficult enough, but then to have the sunlight come in to a a sacred point on the inside at a particular time, that really just, uh, that is really mind-blowing kind of material. And you know that there are churches in Italy uh, that do the same thing. Yes. They're built in such a way that the sun comes in and hits the church floor and marking the solstices on on either ends of a meridian. So so it wasn't just like, you know, in the mists of, you know, the dawn of civilization, you know, it was being practiced um, by the Medicis and by by churches that were sponsored and built by the Medicis and and the Italians. So it's a it's a tra- tradition that actually really continued. I want to uh, I know Gary is eager to read the horoscopes and we'll get to those, Gary. Um, but I want to I want to review. This is the second time that we have talked to you about your most recent book, Rise and Shine, and mm-hmm. the subtitle is an astrological guide to how you show up in the world. Mm-hmm. This book is about two components of everybody's 
astrological chart. Mm -hmm. First is the sun sign. And almost every single person that we meet knows their sun sign. Yeah, there, there's almost nobody that says, well, I was born on such and such a date. And we say, oh, well, that would make you a and right. then we, we name what they are and they go, oh, OK. There are very few people who are not interested in horoscopes. Ninety nine percent are know their sun sign. I would say ninety nine percent don't know their rising sign. Right. You, you might know your moon, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you might know something about your chart, but I think there is this idea of what, what is an ascendant? What is a rising sign? And even though we did go over it once before, now that I've, I've been reading your book, I, I want you to say a little bit about, um, what is the difference between your sun sign, your rising sign, and what is your rising sign just to bring everybody yep. back up to speed. Sure. Well, <clears throat> these are known as the big three, the sun, the moon, and the rising. Um, <clears throat> and because they really talk about when you were born, the sun sign is going to tell you what time of year you were born. You know, if you're an Aries, for instance, you were born in the spring. If you're a Virgo, you were born at the end of summer. Uh, the moon is going to tell you what time of month you were born. Were you born under a full moon? Were you born under a new moon, first quarter, last quarter, balsamic? Uh, you know, there are eight basic classic uh, phases of the moon. And the rising sign, the rising sign will tell you what time of day you were born. Okay, so we can determine uh, pretty much within two hours, just glancing at a chart, not even with the information printed above, what time of day the person was born. Are you a day birth, a night birth? Was the sun setting? Uh, was the sun about to rise, but it hadn't peaked over the uh, uh, the uh, eastern uh, horizon yet? You know, so these these are the things that are caught up with the rising sign. I gave a lot of thought to it and had a lot of revelations uh, writing this book because I was taught like a rising sign is how you come across to other people and okay, and and maybe it's a persona and something along those lines. But the more that I really dug into the charts that I've collected over the years and talked to people and things like this, I realized that the rising sign is as autonomous or its own thing as the sun and the moon are. And the easiest way to think of a rising sign, the easiest way to think of a rising sign is a facial expression. Okay. If you think of your face, right? And you ask yourself this question, I used to ask it and get a very quick answer before, but nowadays with selfies, not so much, but who looks at your face more during the day, you or other people? Other people. It's other people. So the expression that you're making, okay, isn't seen by you, unless you're in front of a mirror, okay? But the expression you're making is seen by other people. And this is the rising sign. The rising sign is what people are seeing. That's absolutely true. But it's also acting independently from the sun or the moon. And we can certainly get into that if you want to uh, later on in the show as we go on. But, you know, where the sun is placed is going to talk about how much the sun is connected to this facial expression that your rising sign is making. <clears throat> and there are times in which people often will say to me, you know, I, I don't feel like people get me. Like they see me as one thing, but that's not who I am really 
underneath. And that's the difference between the sun and the rising sign. The rising sign is what's being expressed and shown. It's interacting with people in a social environment. You know, if you made a mistake and there's a quiet, you know, there, there's a silence following it, you're like, you know, like that's on your face, that's on your rising sign. But the sun is what you know about yourself to be true no matter what. So you might know you're a good person, but everyone sees a scowl on your face all the time. And they're like, oh God, you know, they're they're, they're so hard to approach and they look mean-spirited, you know, but underneath you might be the kindest person in the world. So so we we all have experiences of who we are, who we know who we are, not necessarily being how we express or come across or how people see us. And that's the rising sign. It's it's not always acting in conjunction with the sun and the moon. It's often acting on its own. No, that's very Wow, what a great me. explanation. If, if I throw in my moon sign there in discussing your book with Suzanne, it occurred to me that there is what I choose to express or hide. And I really don't have much of a poker face. I never have. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people can hide ulterior motives diabolically <laughs> in some cases. They're really good at that. But there is this element, there is this element of being perceived because whatever it is you're putting out there, whether you seek to deceive or if you're like an open book or somewhere in between, people looking at you are going to perceive you in certain ways. And that generates assumptions about your motives, even your character. That's what makes this this uh, subject of astrology rather a labyrinth, because if you think, oh, sun sign, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Capricorn, I'm a Taurus, that you know all there is to know about somebody, that's hardly the case. Right. And, and what's also kind of something else I discovered working on this book is that it's the rising signs that are interacting with other people's rising signs. You know, th think of the way you enter a room. Don't you sort of automatically assess what's going or not even consciously, you might like assess right, right away what's going on. You're looking to lock eyes with someone, you might see someone like, Oh, God, not that person I want to avoid, you know, so so the, your face is in constant interaction with other faces. And so I'm becoming more and more convinced that it's actually the rising signs that are interacting, you know, with the sun and the moon then deciding do I want to further this exchange or do I want to avoid it? So I think there's also a very, very strong social element to the rising sign, which I think also helps to understand how, how, how it acts. I've seen it step up and cover for a sun sign that's felt very uncomfortable. You know, the person goes into the rising sign, you know, um, and, and, and that's an extraordinary thing. Or the rising sign is a hindrance. You know, it's, it's too slow. And the sun sign behind it is like, we need to be faster here. And so it almost has to like step around the rising sign. So it really is its own personality. Suzanne and I, there and, and Suzanne suggests this quite often, almost every time we go and sit down at a restaurant, she will say, let's guess our server's birth sign. And we <laughs> do it. Now, this this has a natural disadvantage. I think it throws a little sport into it because Suzanne will choose one birth sign, I'll choose another. And there have been, on rare occasions at least, when we both guessed the same one and turned out to be right. There are other times, uh, many times, most uh, the time, frankly, Suzanne and I, neither of us will get it right. And we get into a conversation with our server about 
astrology, uh-huh. what it means to us, what it can mean to them. Are they curious? And frequently they are. We do all of that based on looking at their face. That's what we have to judge by. And it becomes sort of an experiment in a fun social way for Suzanne and I to guess what sign they might be. But the whole time we're looking at the face they present and guessing about their birth sign. Yeah. And that comes from a very old tradition called physiognomy, um, which dates all the way back to Aristotle, uh, probably before. And it was the belief that you could read someone's soul, that, that, that someone's inner soul was etched or sketched on their face. You know, that as the person grew older, the soul inside began to really make itself known in the way that that face was, in the features of the face, the expressions of the face. Um, there's There are even traditions, very long traditions, particularly the East of face reading, you know, yes. and it's the face that's very, very important. And, uh, but, but that's one of the uh, interactions between astrology. Astrology sort of collects certain other practices along the way. Um, One of the ones that it uh, collected or became entwined with was physiognomy, which is the idea of reading someone's character uh, from their face. Alexander the Great was very into that. I I took a a face reading class uh, many years ago, and my, my understanding about its origin is from the East when physicians were not allowed to touch female patients and so they had to read their face to determine what it is that was going on with the patient the other thing i was thinking about when you were talking about the 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 ascendant meeting the ascendant i heard many years ago that people do not meet who we really are they meet our archetypes and mm-hmm. so in that way, I can I can make that translation between archetypes and uh, rising signs mm-hmm. that you, you it's very difficult for you to see the actual person. I would think that it would be uh, much easier if the sun sign and the rising sign are the same. Well, it's an interesting point that you make. Not everyone has this problem of feeling like they're not apprehended or understood correctly. A lot of people feel quite comfortable with the way that they're understood. And again, that depends on whether the sun is trining the ascendant or sextiling the ascendant. If the sun has a good relationship with the ascendant, then that moves really quite easily. The problem that I've seen show up where someone is let's say a double Aries, okay? Uh, And a double Aries means I'm an Aries sun, Aries rising, but what it really means is I was born at sunrise. You know, that's, that's what's going on there. The problem that I've seen is that the sun and the rising sun, when they're the same, the person feels like there's no distance on how they come across. Everything is 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 up front there think of a line they always feel like they're at the head of the line and so they can feel like they're being read all the time like like there's no escaping that i mean imagine having a spotlight on you you know everyone thinks like oh having a spotlight's great i can perform i have a crowd well it's not so great if you're escaping prison or you want a private moment or you know like having that spotlight isn't always a great thing And so people who are their own sign rising continually feel pushed to the front of the line line, and that they're seen. And if you're a fire sign, that's great. 
because fire signs are like, I've got nothing to hide. Here I am. But if you're a water sign, oh my goodness, if you're a water sign, it's like insane because water signs want their privacy. They want to be able, especially a sign like cancer, for instance, they want to be able to approach something circuitously. They don't want to be seen all, all the time. And that's where it can get really quite interesting, the sun's relationship to the rising sign. And I know a gentleman, you talk about Aries and being out there with the chin jutting out and enjoying the spotlight, which is perfectly fine. But to those who have not the foggiest bit of faith in astrology, oh, what a bunch of nonsense. Meet a few Aries of my acquaintance. I'm sitting across from one right now, and you'll see one kind of personality. I have a good friend, one of my old church friends from Seattle, who is proud of his status as a double Pisces. It's, <laughs> that's you want to talk about writing in the depths swimming away dealing with escapism but having a heart of gold maybe a heart worn on the sleeve that's some double pisces behavior trust me right and and that would be very appropriate you know and it sounds like your friend has learned how to live with that <laughs> he has he's yeah, done thing, a lot of but... good work in the world too great teacher retired now but and yeah. excellent church volunteer oh absolutely yeah, and, and of course, church is ruled by the planet Jupiter, and Jupiter rules Pisces, and so there's a connection there, too. You know, this person was probably very giving to their community, Certainly. And, um, being Absolutely. involved with the moral compass of their community, right? Yes. When people don't recognize themselves in their rising sign, they say, you know, I'm a such and such sun sign, and that's that. Um, is it the fact that other people see them differently than how they see themselves? Yeah, what I often will say, okay, I, I, I hear that you don't really identify with this, but let's ask your spouse, let's ask your friends, let's, uh, you know, and, and, and inevitably, they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, they're exactly like that. We don't, oh, we, we think we read ourselves, but no, not all of us read ourselves or or read ourselves accurately. You know, yeah. this is something, and it's kind of amusing, but you also kind of want to be sensitive to it. But this is something where um when it comes up, uh, like like for instance, in, in astrology class, we'll have someone who's being read by the class, you know. And then at the end they're like, Well, I'm not sure about this, but they somehow bring a friend, and the friend's like, No, you guys were right about all of the, you know, they'll go down the list. So, so and and that really shows up with the rising sign. You know, I don't necessarily know if I read myself correctly, or or maybe I don't like what the rising sign is putting off. I mean, if you're born at sunset. Uh, you're not really going to connect to your rising sign because the sun is as far away from the sign that's rising, if it's setting, as it can be on a circle, okay? And so you can have splits where people feel like their rising sign is 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 very different from who, from who they are. Fascinating. As always, I'd like to read. Mm -hmm. Read a the, few and then the, we'll go to break. Let me go to the first four. We can do this in uh, three sets of four. Okay. We'll get everybody Sounds covered good. today. Also, it helps keep people listening like they wouldn't already when Christopher Renstrom joins <laughs> us, font of wisdom that he is. Let's go ahead and start where the Zodiac starts with Aries. Plans are suddenly derailed, but don't be so quick to try to get them back on track. What feels like an interruption could be a timely save. That's intriguing. <laughs> How about Taurus? Mercury retrograde. Welcome. It starts today. We got three weeks of this. Mercury <laughs> retrograde affects you the most. 
Leave time to iron out mix-ups and technical snafus. Also, look for opportunities hidden underfoot. Then we turn to Gemini. You have no patience for delays. You want to keep things moving. However, postponements work in your favor over the next three weeks. Again, with the retrograde, see, the next three weeks. And uh, for this round, before we go to break, let's get in Cancer here. Cancer, you haven't much time to catch up. Nobody expects it, but take the weekend to cram. Going the extra distance now puts you in good stead. So hopeful notes and challenges that are implicit in the Mercury retrograde. And there's some opportunity in there as well, which we can discuss on the other side of our break. And we'll get to the rest of the scopes too. We're having a great time as we always do with Christopher Renstrom. We'll be back very shortly. We are Manson Mitchell. Thank you for tuning in. Please continue to do so. We will be right back. I'm Gary Mance. And I'm Suzanne Mitchell. It's time for the 2023 KKNW Listener Survey. Please log on to 1150kknw.com after our show and complete the listener survey. Your responses will ensure quality program like Manson Mitchell continues on this station. As an added incentive, you will have a chance to win round trip tickets for two on the Victoria Clipper to beautiful Victoria, BC. Plus a $100 gift certificate to Famous Dave's Restaurant. On behalf of KKNW, Manson Mitchell, and all of the fine shows on our station. Thank you for taking the time to help us improve your listening experience. You've got to play to win, and one lucky person's name will be drawn on April 23 for the trip. Log on to KKNW right after Manson Mitchell and fill out the survey. Complete contest rules can be found at 1150kknw.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com.
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Christopher Renstrom, astrologer extraordinaire, for an education about astrological rising signs. And of course, we will read the horoscopes. On Saturday, Drayvon James talks about the science of happiness, five things you can do to flex and strengthen your happiness muscles in the gymnasium of your mind. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest, Christopher Renstrom. We always love it when Christopher Renstrom joins us and we get to talk horoscopes. And I think people are interested in the influences of the planets at the time that they were born and how, you know, what, how does that show up in your life? Christopher, if people want to get your most recent book, Rise and Shine, or the Cosmic Calendar, which I found totally wonderful, or anything else, where is the best place for them to do that? Probably Amazon.com. <laughs> and or, if they want to subscribe. <laughs> right, we can, we can get that one too. But to get the books, it's probably your local bookstore or Amazon. The books have been published by Penguin Random House, so they're pretty pretty readily available. And or you can subscribe to my website. Thank you, Suzanne, uh, which is rulingplanets.com. And that's an interactive subscription website uh, where you can read your daily horoscopes, your weekly horoscopes your cosmic alerts. Um, and uh, it's basically $1.99 a month, $22 for the year. Uh, I post my weekly uh, video predictions uh, there on the site as well. You can learn all about your ruling planet, which is a different subject, but an important one as well. Uh, we are all born under a planet, which is a life coach, patron saint, den mother and corporate sponsor, all wrapped up into one. And so you can learn about that planet. You can actually even learn about that planet very soon because I'm doing a ruling planets for unruly times workshop for astrology hub. And that will wow. be released in either. Uh, I think that's supposed to be released in about mid-May. Yeah. And speaking very of mid-May, excellent segue. Thank you, Christopher. I wanted to talk to you about the transits because when we were setting up this interview and getting you booked there, you and I got into a little sidebar about between now and approximately, I want to say May 18, the middle of May, there are historical precedents, which is why we call them precedents or history. But if you look deep enough into history and the history of this country, there are precedents that can be tracked astrologically with the kinds of formations and correspondences that we see showing up over the next several weeks. Is that not true, Christopher? It's actually going on right now. Um, it's happening. And, and Oh, yeah, it's happening right now. And, and, and the big one was Pluto entering the zodiac sign of Aquarius. Um, in astrology, we, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're looking to the future. But actually, we spend a lot of time in the past. Uh, we've spent a lot of time looking over what happened the last time there was a planetary transit. And the planets move at different varying rates of speed. Pluto, for instance, I think it takes somewhere around 240 to 270 years to go through all 12 signs of the zodiac. So what we do is that we go back in time. Pluto has just entered the zodiac sign of Aquarius. You're probably hearing a lot of astrologers talk about that. That's the big buzz right now. Um, but when you go back in time to the last time that Pluto was in the zodiac sign of Aquarius, 
you find some really extraordinary things happening. It was there for about maybe 12, 14-ish years. And uh, during that period of time, we had three sort of major things happen. For us astrologers, the big thing was the discovery of the planet Uranus. Okay, that was the first thing that happened within that bracket. But the other two things that happened in that bracket was the formation of the U.S. Constitution, the drafting of the U.S. Constitution, and um, the French Revolution. Uh, in fact, the year that the U.S. Constitution is drafted is the same thing that the uh, French um, Declaration of Citizens' Rights, which basically set down uh, human rights for the first time in the history of the world, uh, was espoused by France, which was a big deal because France was a major um, empire during that period of time. So this was happening right as the Enlightenment was coming to an end. So you saw the rise of science, you saw the rise of equal rights, you saw the rise of, of people stepping away from churches and king kingships and saying, we're a citizen and we deserve to have rights, and we're not going to be ruled by a church. Uh, we're going to put our faith in science. And so we see this, re this, this resurgence of a return to, well, what's science going to bring? Science being seen as progressive, changing the shape of humanity, everything from AI and, and all of these sorts of breakthroughs where people really feel like we're on the threshold of transforming the world in an extraordinary way. Well, guess what? That's exactly the same way that they felt back in 1781, you know, and so we're seeing a lot of the similar themes coming up, but of course the time is different, but those questions, those questions have not changed. I think it was Winston Churchill who said that history does not repeat itself, history rhymes. Sounds like what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the extraordinary thing about history is that you can say, oh, it's coming around again, but your life circumstances are very different from, from what it was the first time out. And it's almost as if the stars are saying, okay, you've got a chance to get it right this time. You know, you have a chance to get it right. If you're going to say everyone's free or equal, then make everyone equal. <laughs> you know, don't don't come up with three-fifths a person this time around, kids. You know, like make everyone equal, put everyone on equal standing. And and so it's really, really quite fascinating, particularly uh, you know, this lasts for 24 years, but a planet is strongest when it enters, and we're seeing it right now, and it's very, very powerful. But not only in terms of technology and science, but in the way that people are really voicing what kind of society that they want to live in. And it's not a coincidence that we have, once again, separation of church and state going on. It's such a dynamic part of our conversation right now. Well, the last time that conversation really took place was uh, in the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. No pressure there. So we look at all this, it's it's amazing to see how history doesn't repeat itself, but the themes keep showing up and they are there to be dealt with. They are not there to be ignored. Uh, not with Pluto. <laughs> Pluto was a very like, uh, you pay attention to Pluto when it, when it changes signs. Yeah. And yes, it's capable of affecting, you know, an entire planet whole eras and whatnot, and it does its work very slowly being so remote, at least as astrologers measure it. Look so at how, Well, look at how different we are from the last time Pluto changed science, which was the end of 2008, 2009. There you go. Yeah, there you go. 
I've got some more scopes to read. And again, keep in mind, we're starting a Mercury retrograde. So if you see this in each scope that I'm reading, just don't be surprised. We got three weeks that can be challenging, but maybe opportune as well. Here we go with Leo. The next three weeks are problematic. Examine expectations as developments unfold. You're on the verge of making the smartest decisions ever. Virgo, you weren't mistaken about goals. You just got ahead of yourself. Take the next three weeks to make adjustments and things turn out fine. And Libra, a partner or client threatens to get difficult. Don't even dignify it with an answer. This person can't make a move without you and knows it. And Scorpio, revisit matters left hanging. Though reluctant to bring up old business, you'll find that hesitant types are ready to talk. And we'll get to the others very shortly. Scorpio, revisit matters left hanging. That's one of the... Uh, I don't know if it's going too far to say uh, glories or joys of a Mercury retrograde, but it seems like an opportunity, even to the point, as I have found in my own life, Christopher, where people from my past suddenly spin forward, as it were, into the present, and I walk into a store, a restaurant, they come into my office, whatever it is, and there they are, and my goodness, we haven't talked to each other in 20 years. I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> That's the exciting part. That's when it works for me. I always said, whenever it's a retrograde, I go, maybe somebody's going to show up in my life that I actually want to talk to from a long time ago. And it's very Mercury. Uh, Mercury in Greek mythology was known as the companion to man. Okay. So, uh, you know, where other gods, you had to go to their temples or their shrines and things like that. And, and maybe there was a priest or a priestess there or something like that. Mercury could be, you know, standing behind you in the checkout line at the market. You know, because he was always rushing from place to place to place. And so that's why Mercury people would, when they beseeched Mercury, prayed to Mercury, they would ask for help to get from here to there. That was Mercury's job to get you from here to there. So this idea of running into someone that you haven't ha seen in ages during a retrograde it's it's a it's a lovely mercurial expression. and it's and and you're right. It's a delightful thing that often happens during the retrograde. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that turns up after 20 years is somebody you necessarily want to talk to, but there they are. Uh, there's that again. <laughs> you know, one thing about your wonderful book I wanted to say there, and this is in reference specifically to my partner, Suzanne, Rise and Shine, an Astrological Guide to How You Show Up in the World, authored by Christopher Renstrom. There, when I read Suzanne's, I thought, wow. Christopher really nailed it. That combination of sun sign and the rising sign. Suzanne, her birth sign is Aries and she is Virgo rising. And the tendencies, the characteristics of the personality, just spot on. It was right. really amazing to me. I will be honest with you, Christopher, and, and say, and I think I know why this happened. I did not recognize myself nearly so much in my Virgo birth and uh, cancer rising. But I think the reason for that, and as I picked it apart, just doing a little self-analysis, my moon is in Pisces in the eighth house. You want to talk religion, you want to talk about uh, deep mysteries, being attracted to metaphysics and so forth. If you have Pisces, moon in Pisces in the eighth house, in my case, that dominated my self-expression and my self-understanding 
pretty much throughout my childhood and my adolescence into the start of adulthood before I saw, because circumstantially it wasn't working out so well, that I needed to rely more on the analytical side that Virgo brings if I was going to make sense of the world. Otherwise, you can go through life if you're that Piscean all the time. It's awfully depressing and you can kind of look like the walking wounded. Right. Right. So what you're saying is that you related more to the moon in Pisces than the cancer rising. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. And seem to operate from that place almost by design, even though I was almost wholly ignorant of astrology at that time. But that's the way I was. And when I look back on it, I can see it now. Sure. Well, what we do as an astrologer, and I didn't really have time in the book because I had to do 144 combinations of sun and rising signs. But as an astrologer, it's very easy. Your rising sign is Cancer, right? Correct. Well, the planet that rules your rising sign is the moon, and that's exactly the one that you pointed to, saying that that's the one that you felt that you related to, or that you felt like people really understood more 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 powerfully right you felt like that's the part that's coming across and if you've got a moon in pisces and a cancer ascendant then they're trining so in in other words it's the moon that's kind of stepping forward and powering uh, uh putting across what the rising sign is expressing perhaps uh perhaps more powerfully uh than the sun is so so that's how i would just adjust that for for you i suppose it's there no accident that i should have been feeling the way i did given that i was born at 2 2 31 a.m under a full moon so what's this lunar talk <laughs> 2 31 <laughs> in the morning under a full moon on a sunday morning and uh I read one time my birth horoscope that from the day I was born, it was actually a class assignment in college, no less, just to get uh -huh. people digging in the microfiche and looking for details there. And I did. And my horoscope, the day I was born, said this child is going to be very much drawn to religion. Right. And and you see it with that relationship. What's also really interesting is that you're mostly known as a radio personality. Is that correct? Yes. At least in my household. Yeah. Well, we don't see your face. Right, right. So, and, and that's very much the cancer, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, we don't see your, we hear your voice, but we don't see your face. Right. So once again, we're getting into that watery sort of hiding, not, 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 not exposing or showing, you know, that might not be by choice, but we know your voice very well. You have a signature voice. You know, but okay. that would be very in keeping, for instance, with the water sign that's rising and then the trine to the moon. When you're talking about the moon, the rising sign and the sun sign, am mm -hmm. I hearing that you're saying that the rising sign and the moon are like a two to one influence over his sun sign? You've got it. It's perfect. Okay. It's a perfect way of putting it. I mean, the, the thing is, the challenge of being in a position like mine is keeping astrology simple and not letting yes. it go rails, but you absolutely right. got it. What you have is a very strong alliance between right. the ascendant, which is water moon, which is water moon rules the ascendant. And so the sun is kind of like takes a subsidiary position. You well, know. that also gives me another way to approach it. I, I have the um, astrological charts for my family and closest people. And, mm -hmm. and I try and, and look at this stuff 
for myself and to talk to them about it. Yeah. And now it gives me kind of a different way to look at it. If I'm just looking at those three things alone, the yeah. moon sign, the rising sign and the sun sign, just to see what it is that could be dominant among those things. Or like you're saying with Gary, two of them are kind of working together. Absolutely. So, so they're more powerful than the sun sign. Yeah. And, and just to sort of uh, put a cap on, on that idea, um, Gary, because the sun is below the horizon, 2.30 in the morning, right? So Gary is a nighttime chart. And what I've seen with nighttime charts is that the moon will be as strong, if not perhaps stronger, than the sun will. And he's also born during a full moon, which means that if you were to have walked outside the hospital at the time that Gary was born and you looked up into the sky, you would see a full moon. Right. So that becomes the dominant light or the dominant luminary in, in Gary's life. It tracks. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, some people might say, oh, that sounds superstitious. Well, not in my opinion, because for me, one of the great aspects of astrology, and it's something like mathematics, you can spend 10 lifetimes studying it and not exhaust the subject there. But for me, when I look at, at uh, the correspondences and the correlations, that's when I know that I'm tracking it, because yeah. where I find this I will see this. I'm not saying that one causes the other so much as they show up together in a way that can be readily recognized if you're paying attention. Yeah. Well, we began the show, right? With what did, you know, ancient people do for fun? You know? I mean, they, they looked at the sky, you know, and so they're, they're reading that sky. And this is something that we lose touch with, <clears throat> with the astrology columns, because <clears throat> there's a tendency to really focus on the sun, but it's really about what did that whole sky look like? Right. And, you know, that idea that there's a difference between people born in day, people born in night, the lunar phase, you're born under a full moon, it's the ruler of the ascendant. That's that's if your ascendant's recognizing the person to be called on in your chart, it's recognizing your moon. Very well said. There, that endlessly fascinating yeah, stuff. I, I find it that way. It, it's always about learning more about yourself. And this is one uh, portal to learning more about who you are, how you show up in the world, how other people see you. Let's make sure we get in the last four horoscopes. Too. Astrology as portal to self-discovery. There we go. <laughs> A webinar starring Christopher Redstrom coming soon. Or it ought to be. <laughs> okay, next up, Sagittarius, our Sag friends. Be wary of running to the rescue. It's not like you to turn down people in need, but then they may not be representing things accurately. And next is Capricorn. It looks like you misread a situation, but don't be too quick to apologize. This fumble could turn into the score you've been looking for. I disagree. Okay, very good. I know everything. I was not wrong. Okay. <laughs> you, you can't buy an apology from this man. Benny without apology. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And the water bearer, Aquarius. Home and or property concerns dog you for the next three weeks. You may be at the end of your rope, but you're also in reach of a goal. And finally, much ballyhooed today, Pisces. Prospects may look dim, but they're dimmer if you bail. Keep that foot of yours in the door. 
you still have an in as long as it's there. Well, there's something to be said for persistence there. In this, in the case of Piscean, this is almost like Pisces day here, the way it turns out. But uh, one of the things that I've always heard about uh, Pisceans, and it applied to me for much of my life, throughout my young life, very easily discouraged. That's the problem I found with, with Pisceans. It's like, if it doesn't work, oh, this you know, fooey, this just isn't going to work, forget it, and walk away. And there's an escapist tendency. But really, if you look a little bit, dig a little bit, the solution to whatever problem or the ability to reach a goal is right there. You're just stepping all over it and ignoring it, failing to see it. Spoken like a true Virgo, Gary. <laughs> Pisces, <Virgo>, wake up! <laughs> the Virgo comes out. I love that. The Virgo comes out. <laughs> so between, as we look ahead, we've got a couple of minutes to hear, uh, to go here, Christopher. But there, as you look at, at world events unfolding, I mean, it's what a whirlwind. There isn't any aspect of American life or geopolitics that isn't fraught at this time. It can be exhausting. And a lot of people, frankly, are just, however they express it, they seem scared. Yeah. Well, um, welcome to the age of Aquarius, everyone. <laughs> Aquarius is Aquarius is a utopian sign. You know, it's all about that society that you want to live in. And like everything else, we're learning and like they dealt with with the Enlightenment, uh, if you want that society to be a good society that you want to live in, you have to participate in it and you have to help build it and you have to help create it. And of course, it's daunting when something like this goes on. And certainly, you know, the news cycles and the social media. I mean, you know, I mean, think of how much technology has really changed our thinking lives and even our dreaming lives. So, you know, please feel free to unplug, disconnect and take some time out for yourself, but we are all engaged in a great creative project, which is the project of the future of humanity. And it's on all of our shoulders right now. And that's an extraordinary call to the barricades, so to speak. <laughs> you know, it's an extraordinary banner to take up, but what it also means is listening to other people, relating to other people, to finding your one-to-one -one relationships in this great block we call humanity and making it intimate, making it real, you know, familiarizing yourself with people you don't know, welcoming the stranger, all of those things. So we bring with us a beautiful history. We often tend to focus on the negatives of history going through times like this, but we bring a beautiful history as well. And that's being called forward right now. And whenever something like that is being called forth, uh, Gary and Suzanne, there's 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 also resistance to it, ambivalence. I don't know if I'm up to this, all of those sorts of things. And just remember, you have a fellow human being who's thinking those things too, but may also believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And you may believe in them more than than they believe in themselves. Very well said. Once again, Christopher, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. It's it's always a, a good time, educational, and we just love spending the time with you. Oh well, it's mutual, you know that. <laughs> and your website once again, rulingplanets.com. That's rulingplanets.com, the plural. 
Yes. With the plural and the dot and the com. Go and subscribe. <laughs> and his book, once again, go and get it. You will learn so much. Rise and Shine, an astrological guide to how you show up in the world. Christopher Renstrom, thank you, sir. We will do this again. Oh, would love it. I hope everyone has a great weekend and a great week ahead. Thanks so much for listening.